In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. We only have to walk outside and walk down toward the park, perhaps, to hear someone comment that the weather outside today is perfect, especially as we compare it to last Sunday when it was sleeting and snowy. Today, for a Sunday and with tomorrow's holiday, it's just about perfect. When we say something's perfect, of course, we mean it's the best, it's the highest. When we perfect a draft of a paper or a document, we usually mean we get rid of all the mistakes, all the errors, all the misspellings, the typos. Perfection has to do with the ideal, right? With what we might agree out loud and our mouths is unobtainable, and yet all the while inside we're striving to attain perfection. Whether we have an idea of perfection based on elementary school teachers or a parent or another family member or a professor, we often live with little voices in our, in our head that echo today's gospel. Be perfect, be perfect or else. But the word used in today's gospel doesn't really mean what we usually mean when we use the word perfect. It's one of those words that just doesn't translate into English all that easily. The word used in the Greek is teleos. And I usually hate to sprinkle sermons with Greek and Hebrew words, but this is an important one. It has a reason. Teleos also finds its way into other fields, as in philosophy, when something has to do with the end of things. It's teleological. You're looking at the teleos, the ending, where things are headed. It's a whole way of of seeing and imagining that things are moving and aiming toward an end, which also at some point implies there is an author to that process or a creator more than perfect, our translation, teleos has to do more with reaching maturity, with being whole or being complete. One summer during college, I I spent much of the summer working in a warehouse, and a part of my job was to look at inventory of all sorts of things that would come and go. And so when when a package of, of nails came in, it was perfect, if it was what it said it was, if it was the right quantity. It was imperfect if it was less than. It had nothing to do whether the nail was good or bad or worked or didn't work. It's more that sense of perfection that this word in today's gospel has to do. One writer uses the image of an acorn to explain this word, teleos. He he writes that a perfect acorn in the biblical sense is not necessarily the largest acorn on the tree, nor the prettiest, nor the meatiest. Instead, the perfect acorn, in the sense that Jesus uses it, is simply a full-grown, leafy, majestic oak tree. That's the perfect acorn in its entirety, in its fulfillment, 
in its end. The perfect acorn is the acorn that has grown to full adulthood, grown beyond its acorn mind, and grown into something that's beyond itself, that's beautiful, that's helpful, that's useful. Eugene Peterson's version of the scriptures called The Message makes this gospel especially clear. He translates verse 48 not as be perfect, but instead Peterson puts it this way. Jesus says, in a word, what I'm saying is grow up. (laughs) Your kingdom subjects, now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others the way God lives toward you. All that from that one little word. And so this means that the kind of perfection Jesus is talking about has to do with God and God's generosity. Be whole as God is whole. Be complete as God is complete. Be a part of God's shalom, God's whole peace. At the end of it all, there's the culmination in Jesus is saying, be like God, be generous like God, surprise other people with that generosity and amazing things will happen. Jesus gives examples of this in today's gospel, that famous, famous saying of if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, then turn the other also has nothing to do with accepting abuse or acting like a doormat for other people. As many commentators have observed, this idea of being hit on the right cheek assumes that most people are right-handed, and so if someone were hitting you, it would be another cheek. And so to be hit on the right cheek, it means they backhanded you, which was the way to say for a, a person of higher standing, you are beneath me, you are low class, you don't count, and so I can backhand you. And so if you turn the other cheek, it forces the person to deal with you as an equal. The person has to take you seriously, and it becomes a whole different social equation. Now, whether that's just the product of biblical scholars sitting in their office too long thinking about this scripture, I don't know. But the point obviously has to do with some way gaining the upper hand, in a particular society. The other examples are the same way, where if a rich person takes a poor person to court and they sue for your outer garment, then take off all your clothes and put them at their feet. They will look like the fool, not you. A similar thing is meant with this situation, which the law during Jesus' time was that if a Roman soldier asked someone to carry his equipment, then you would do it. There were cultural rules and expectations for this sort of thing. And so by carrying the equipment even further, you're not only startling the soldier, but you're breaking the cultural code. You're risking embarrassment. And for an occupied people to take the upper hand of the occupier is to twist things a little bit. The Church of England bishop and biblical commentator N.T. Wright suggests that these stories are, are meant as snippets, almost like little cartoons that Jesus offers quickly. And Jesus is saying through all these images, imitate God, be like God. God is generous beyond what anyone would expect. So be generous with one another. Be larger than your usual self.
the third and fourth centuries, holy women and holy men went out of the cities and into the Egyptian desert looking for God and in some ways looking for themselves. These desert mothers and fathers sometimes lived alone and sometimes lived together. And many thought they were going out to look for perfection. But then they would get there and they'd be confronted with their own internal demons. They'd be confronted with the wise sayings of other hermits, other teachers. And so they quickly came to understand that the way of perfection is only through imperfection. The way to wholeness is only by admitting one's brokenness along the way. A great story from that desert tradition talks about a desert father known as Abba Moses. It seems that a brother living elsewhere in community had done some horrible thing. He had committed a fault or a sin and a whole council was called. And so the brothers around this one all wanted Abba Moses to come, but he refused He wouldn't go. He'd have none of it. Finally, they sent a messenger to him and said, Abba Moses, please come. Everybody is here waiting for you, and we want your opinion on the matter. And so, reluctantly, Abba Moses got up, but he found a leaking jug of water, and he carried it with him. He carried it all the way, and the other monks came out to meet him. They saw the leaking jug, of course, and they said, What is this, Abba Moses? What is your point with this? Abba Moses looked at them and said quietly, My sins run out behind me, and I do not see them. And yet today I'm called to judge another? When they heard it, the brothers all went away and forgave their brother. We can see through the growth and clarification of scriptures that the Bible is not always perfect. It uses words that we have to mull over, we have to think about. A wonderful example of this is in the King James Bible that I and many of you love so much for its beauty and its cadence. But if you do a word search sometime, look up the word unicorn. It's all through the King James Bible. There was a particular animal the translators simply didn't know how to identify, and so they called it a unicorn. There are other examples where scholars simply didn't know what the word meant. That's why everyone gets so excited when another cave is found in the Dead Sea, and perhaps there are scrolls there, because they they reveal understanding about language and what words meant in context, and they help us understand what the scriptures mean for our day. And so we're not really called to be perfect in the sense that we often use that word. If anything, we're called to be imperfect, to admit and proclaim our imperfections, not to worry so much about the imperfections of others. This is the path of generosity. This is the path that leads to wholeness. This is what leads to maturity, to growth. It's a way of generosity that eventually enables us, like that acorn, to grow into something that's enormous and beautiful and long-lived. In the final chapter of Revelation, there's a wonderful image of the holy city, the new Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, there's a river that runs through it, and that river is full of the water of life. The Lamb of God presides over this holy city, And we're told that in the city there is a tree, the tree of life, 
And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. We are those leaves, I think. We are the leaves of that tree. We're imperfect, but we're growing. We're changing. We're developing in generosity. All under the watchful care of God. Thanks be to God that we don't have to be perfect. We just have to keep growing. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.